Good to see everybody here this morning. If you haven't been with us, we are about halfway through a three-month series focusing on how to transform our lives, especially by looking at how we study the Bible and studying the Bible in a better way so that we can be transformed by our, by our Bible study. We're talking now about prayer and how to transform our prayer life so that our lives are transformed by our prayers. And next month, we will talk about service and how to transform the way that we serve people. Last week, we talked about prayers of adoration about how adoration changes our perspective on everything. That when we adore God in prayer, when we tell God how great and awesome and wonderful He is, and we focus our minds and our hearts on those facts, it changes the way we look at and think about everything in our lives. This morning we're going to specifically think about prayers of confession. But before we do, I was thinking about a story that's probably pretty familiar in most of our households. If we have children or have had children in our homes, we know what it's like for kids to get into things they're not supposed to get into. And so I was thinking, you know, if, if there was maybe a mom and maybe she was painting a room and she had a, a can of paint and we already know where the story's going, right? So uh, she has a can of paint and it's open and she tells her little boy, don't touch the paint, I will be right back, don't touch it. And you know what happens, right? If you're a parent and you tell a kid not to touch something, it's like when God told them not to eat of the fruit. Uh, now that's all I want to do, right? You say, don't do it, that's all I want to do. And so as soon as she leaves the room, of course, the kid does what he's not supposed to do and he sticks a finger in there and he says, well, that feels cool, you know, it's kind of cold and it's gushy and, and he sticks one finger in and maybe a few fingers in and before you know it, the whole hand is in there and then the other hand is in there and then he hears mom coming down the hall and he quickly puts the hands behind his back, right? And when she walks in and she sees the can of paint, it may be a little dribble from, from the can to the sun and, and she sees him with his hands behind his back, she knows already what's happened, right? I mean, there's no use asking the question, but she's going to ask it anyway, isn't she? What's going on? What are you doing? Did you put your hands in the can of paint? And of course, in his mind, he's thinking, I've got to say no, right? I've got to say no. I can't tell her the truth. In fact, he's afraid that if he takes his hands from behind his back and he reveals what he's done, then she'll be angry and maybe it will damage their relationship and there's going to be consequences and there's going to be punishment. But the truth is, she already knows the truth. She already knows what he's hiding. She already knows what's happened. And in fact, if he was just to pull his hands from behind his back and say the truth and say, Mom, I did what you told me not to do. I put my hands in the paint. Then their relationship, there might be consequences and punishment, but their relationship could begin to heal. They would be on the road to recovery as soon as he confessed the truth. But as long as he keeps his hands hidden behind his back... As long as he continues to try to conceal the truth, and he's not concealing anything, is he? But as long as he tries, their relationship will remain fractured. See, that's the way it is in our prayer life too, isn't it? I mean, we know intellectually that God knows everything that we've done. He knows the sins that we've committed, the sins of commission, the things that we've done that we weren't supposed to do, and the sins of omission, the things we were supposed to do and we didn't. 
God knows those things. He knows the evil that lurks in our hearts and the evil that lurks in our minds, in our thoughts. He knows the things that we've said about people to their face and behind their back. He knows all of that. But yet when we pray to God, we say, thank you, God, for this day. Thanks for our food. Thanks for our great country. You know, help me to have a great day. Help me to be well. Help grandma to get better. Amen. Right? We're still so pretentious in our prayers. We still continue to hide our hide our hands behind our back, pretend that those things aren't there, that guilt and that shame that's weighing on our heart and mind, afraid to pull it out and to show it to God and say, God, this is what I've done. My hands are stained. I did what I wasn't supposed to do and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Will you forgive me? Afraid that if we tell God the truth, that He'll be angry and that we won't have a relationship with Him anymore. But the truth is that as long as we continue to conceal our hands behind our back, our relationship will remain fractured. That it's only when we confess our sins, when we reveal what we're trying to hide, that our relationship can begin to heal and be repaired. Let's look at our text this morning, Psalm 51. And in most Bibles, you'll have kind of a, an introduction that's put there that says something along the lines of to the choir master or to the director of music, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. And so most of us probably realize or some of us realize that this psalm kind of goes along with the story of David and Bathsheba. When David saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof and he lusted after her and he brought her to himself and he slept with her, she was pregnant with the child and he murdered or had murdered her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And so this psalm goes along with that. And and we may realize that and that may help us to understand the psalm a little bit better. But sometimes I'm afraid we so tie it specifically to that story that we think this is about David's sin, not about my sin. I want you to pay attention to that first part of that introduction there where it says to the choir master or to the director of music. The intention with the Psalms was that the Psalms would work as a temple songbook, that the temple leaders would lead the congregation of Israel in this worship, in these words. And in fact, when the Apostle Paul instructs the New Testament church, like at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, he tells the church to use psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we teach and edify each other. See, church, we've got to allow these psalms to shape our singing and our prayer life. Because, I mean, it's so easy, isn't it, to, to get into a rut, into a habit of prayer where we just simply pray the same things over and over and over again without thinking about them, rather than allowing Scripture to shape how we pray and what we say when we pray and, and shape our heart and shape our mind in our prayers. I, I probably told you this story before, but when I was little, it embarrassed me terribly. Probably the first time that I led a prayer in a Bible class, I was elementary school, you know, maybe first grade or something maybe kindergarten, and the Bible class teacher, and it was the preacher's wife, and I wanted to impress her. I've always liked preacher's wives. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, I wanted to impress the preacher's wife and, you know, make her think I was spiritual and I knew how to lead a prayer. And so she said, Wes, would you say the prayer before Bible class? And I was so proud. And I said, okay. I bowed my head and I said, please, Lord, 
bless this food that we're about to eat. <laughs> Why? Because that's what I was used to praying, right? I, I, I had developed a, a habit of prayer. But it wasn't really appropriate for the time. It's good to pray for God to bless your food. But it's bad for us to get into a habit where we're just praying out of routine. Church, this is what this series this month is all about. Is that we have to allow Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, to shape our hearts and to shape our mind and to shape our prayers. And so I literally believe that just as we should sing these psalms, we, we just did a, a minute ago, sing, created me a clean heart, O God. We, we allowed our songs to be shaped by Scripture. And I believe that we ought to pray these psalms. We ought to pray God's Word. That's why they were given to Israel. And again, Paul tells us to do the same with the psalms. Look at verse 1. Psalm 51 and verse 1. Three points I want to get to rather quickly this morning. Three points. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do you see how even this prayer of confession and repentance begins with adoration? Praying to God, God, you are a God of steadfast love. You are a God of abundant mercy. You are the kind of God who blots out transgressions, who washes people thoroughly from their iniquity and cleanses people from their sin. Even a prayer of confession begins with adoration. But here's one thing I want us to recognize. That prayers of confession come when we are convinced of God's grace. Prayers of confession happen when we are convinced of God's grace. Sometimes we don't pray to God the way that we should, and we don't reveal to God the sins that we've committed because we don't know God's character. We don't know that God is a God of steadfast love and abundant mercy, a God who blots out transgressions, a God who washes thoroughly from sin, and a God who cleanses. We have to be convinced that God is a God of mercy and grace. Because after all, if there was no hope for mercy, if there was no hope for grace, if there was no hope for forgiveness, then why would you confess? You'd just continue to hide it, wouldn't you? But where there is a great confidence of mercy because of the blood of Jesus Christ and as Christians, we ought to have the greatest confidence and the mercies and the grace of God, we ought to know that God is a God of steadfast love, a God who has abundant mercy. And where there is great confidence in God's great mercy, there ought to be great confession where we are so willing to say, God, this is who I am and this is what I've done, knowing that this is the kind of God that we are. So church, as a church, we've got to hammer hard God's grace, don't we? We've got to hammer hard and say, this is the kind of God that we serve. This is who God is. Because there's a lot of us who grew up not hearing about God's grace. Not hearing about God's mercy. We heard a lot about God, and we heard a lot about wrath, and we heard a lot about vengeance, we heard a lot about justice, but we didn't hear a lot about God's abundant love, steadfast love, and abundant mercy. We didn't hear about God totally, completely forgiving washing, cleansing, taking away sin. And so now when we think about confessing our sins before God, we don't. We hide them. 
And so when we're not confessing the way that we ought to, one question that we've got to stop and ask ourselves, is it because I don't recognize who God is? You know, when my, my boys do something wrong and I, I know they've done something wrong and they've gotten onto, into something that they shouldn't have gotten into and, and I'm just trying to, to, to coax a confession out of them, right? And I'm just saying, boys, did you do this? And, and they're looking at me like, no, I didn't do it. No, I didn't do it. And I know they did it. And I, and I just keep on, keep on. I think to myself, don't they know who I am? Don't they know what kind of dad I Don't they know that if they were to just say, Dad, I blew it, I messed up, I, I shouldn't have done that, and I did, would you forgive me? That I'd be happy to forgive them. I'm just waiting for them to confess and to repent and to say they want to change. So it makes me wonder, have I shown myself to be a dad of grace? A father of mercy? God has shown himself to be that, hasn't he? Are we convinced that God is a God of grace and mercy? Are we convinced that God is a God of forgiveness? Because if we're going to be the people who confess our sins the way we ought to confess our sins, then we've got to be convinced of God's grace. But look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So if, first of all, in order to confess the way that we should confess, we've got to be convinced of God's grace. Secondly, we've got to be convicted of our Guilt. We've got to be convicted of our guilt. If, as a church, if we're going to be a confessing people, if we're going to be a people who constantly take our sins to God and say, God, this is what I've done, please forgive me. Then we've got to know that God is a gracious God, but we also have to preach hard about sin, don't we? We also have to be honest about what offends God, what is breaking God's heart and God's commandments. Of course, we live in a world that, that doesn't want us to feel guilty and doesn't want us to have any shame. It says, no, 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 you're just fine the way you are. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just feel good about yourself. But we're never going to have the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with Him so long as we continue to deny and not recognize and acknowledge and realize and be convicted of our own guilt. Look at some of the words that David uses here. He says things like transgressions. What's that? It's rebellion. It's rebellion. It's saying to God, I don't care that you're the boss. I don't care that you're the creator. I don't care that you're the king. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do what's right in my eyes. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just going to do things my own way. And you've done that. And I've done that. We followed our own heart, and we followed our own mind, and we followed our own will, and we've done things our own way rather than doing things God's way. We've rebelled against Him. And confession is recognizing not only that God is a gracious God and wants to forgive, but recognizing that I am guilty. I've rebelled against God. He uses the word Sin, which means an offense against God. In fact, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, that, that doesn't mean that he hadn't offended others or done wicked things to other people, including Uriah, if we're getting real spe specific about this story. 
you and I have to recognize that when we sin, and again, this psalm wasn't just written to go along with the story of David and Bathsheba. This song was written for God's people to confess and to sing praises about the God who forgives sins. So you have to realize that the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made, we, we like to downplay sin as much as we can, don't we? It was just a mistake that we made, or oh, I didn't mean to do it, it was just an accident. We've offended God. We have sinned against Him. He uses the word evil. Done what is evil, what is wicked in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Again, we live in a culture that says, Wes, don't talk about sin. You might make people feel bad or feel guilty or feel ashamed of what they've done. Church, if we're going to have the relationship with God that He wants us to have, if we're going to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and walk in Him, then we have to be convicted of our guilt. When we've done wrong, we have to acknowledge that it was rebellion against God, it was an offense to God, it was wicked and it was evil, and God is right in His judgment. To say to God, God, you're right to be angry with me. You're right to be offended by what I've done. You're right to punish me. You're right if you want to cast me away. Because that's what I deserve. That's what my actions merit. But again, walking hand in hand with the idea that we know and are convinced that God is a God of grace. But you can't just be convinced that God is a God of grace to be a confessor. You have to be convinced that He's a God of grace along with convicted that you're guilty. Look at the next verse. Verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We've got to be convinced of God's grace. We've got to be convicted of our guilt. And we've also got to be committed to change. David prays not just for forgiveness, but for change. Not just change in circumstances, not just change in standing, but a change in heart. Change me from the inside out. It's me who's wrong. It's me who's broken. It's my heart that needs a transplant. It's my spirit that needs to be renewed. Take it out and give me a new one. And that's what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's what we have. That that heart of stone that's in our chest, God takes it out and He gives us a new one. God circumcises our hearts. He changes us. He gives us what we need. And church, listen, it's me that's the problem. And so I can't think my way out of sin. It's me that's the problem. I can't feel my way out of sin. It's me that's the problem. I can't work my way out of sin. I have to be changed by God. And that's what baptism is, isn't it? In a sense, baptism is a prayer of confession. It's saying to God, I am dead and I need to be buried and only you can resurrect me with a new heart and an upright spirit. That's what we need to be praying 
That's the thought that needs to be on the top of our mind, on the tip of our tongue, and oozing from our heart. That's the way we need to pray. It's me. It's me that needs to be changed. And I want to change. I don't want to keep doing the things that I've always done and being the person I've always been. I want to do better. Keep reading verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do you see that the result of confession and the result of being forgiven by God is not self-loathing? What we're saying here is not that you should go home and kick yourself all day long because you're a sinner. No. It's that you should reveal your dirty hands to God and let Him clean them. And then once you're cleansed, then you praise. That's the result of confession. When you confess and are forgiven by God, then you can praise Him. And you can evangelize. You can teach sinners, transgressors, His ways and say, my God's a God that's good. My God's a God that forgives. My God is a God who washes. My God is a God who cleanses. I'm not perfect. I'm broken. I'm messed up. But I want you to know about my Jesus. And I want you to know what He does for people. That's the result of confession and forgiveness. And then he says, verse 18, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You see that the concern of confession is never just individual. It's also for the people of God. Real quick before we close, one more time. Confession happens when you are, one, convinced of God's grace, two, convicted of your guilt, and three, committed to change. Maybe there's some of us that are convinced God's a gracious God. We're just not convicted that we're guilty. What do you do when you find yourself in that situation? Pray Psalm 51. Well, what do you do if you are convicted of your sin, but you're just not convinced that God would really forgive you? Pray Psalm 51. Read scripture. Let it shape your heart. Let it shape your mind. What if you are convinced that God is a gracious God and you're convicted of your sin, you're just not committed to change? Pray Psalm 51. Get into God's Word and pray God's Word. Let it shape your heart. Let it shape your mind. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't yet responded to the Gospel, hasn't yet called out to God for a clean conscience through being buried with Jesus in baptism. Acts 22 and verse 16 says that baptism is calling upon the name of the Lord. It is, 1 Peter 3.21, an appeal to God for a clean conscience. If you're guilty and you know God is a good, gracious, merciful God, and you're committed to change and you haven't been baptized, then what are you waiting for? Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We are in this together. There's none of us that are perfect. We're just forgiven. And if we can pray with you or help you, won't you let us do that? Come forward as we stand and sing.